is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we try to unjumble an important and sometimes under-the-radar statewide story that affects you. I'm sure a lot of you are trying to recover from the holiday season at this point. So we wanted to talk about something a little bit different, something that has always been very amusing to me in my time covering the state legislature, and that is floor speeches. That's right. So people get up before a bill is voted on and they stake their policy claim or their political claim. They say if they're for the bill, if they're against the bill, and why. And sometimes there's a lot of back and forth. Sometimes before votes, there is no discussion about the bills. But we thought that it would be interesting to tell you about the context of these floor speeches and sort of how to interpret them. I think that it would be easy to confuse them as like real policy debates that might move the needle on issues, but that's not really the case. Pretty much when these things happen, the outcome is predetermined, that the bill is going to be voted on and it will likely pass. Uh, And so this is just a way to sort of say, this is my final statement on this bill. Absolutely. And I think that pretty much every reporter in that has covered Lansing has one of their personal favorite floor speeches mm-hmm. because some of the lawmakers take these things either very seriously or in some cases they use them as opportunities to show off their comedy skills. <laughs> um, and <laughs> Jake, you and I, when we were talking about this, we both came immediately thought of one particular senator, mm. Senator Coleman Young. Yes. Now, former Senator Coleman Young II, uh, who for my entire entire time covering the Capitol had the most memorable floor speeches, no Mm -hmm. question about it, uh, mostly because of how bombastic some of them were. I wanted to play an example from 2013, the infamous hot tub time machine quote. This is the worst idea for a bill I have seen since they decided to make Garfield and the tale of two kitties. This bill is so incredibly bad that I think it it created a tear in the time-space continuum, and I blacked out, woke up in a hot tub time machine, and traveled through time so I could stop it and repeal it. <laughs> so again, <laughs> former states... I never get tired of that. <laughs> no, no, me neither. I listen to it whenever I'm feeling sad. Uh, now, <laughs> what I think is interesting, though, and valuable about this is I think a lot of people think of when they do tune into session for the House or the Senate, think of it as very procedural, sort of boring, mm-hmm. right? Yes. But this is one of those examples where uh, it actually can be very entertaining or very interesting. It can really perk your ears, and, and there are plenty of times when bills are being voted on, especially controversial bills, that, you know, you're sort of really kind of drawn in and engaged to the conversation. So I think sometimes it is worth coming in and watching these proceedings as they're happening, especially when big controversial bills are being voted on, because you really get a sense of where people stand. And just because these floor speeches don't necessarily move the needle on whether or not a bill is going to pass or not, they really do give you a great, succinct insight into how these laws lawmakers feel about these bills. In a lot of cases, you know, I've seen them call out other lawmakers and they might point out aspects of the bills that you hadn't really thought about before. So it's not only a way of them explaining why they personally are for or against something, but it's also a way of them trying to hold their fellow lawmakers accountable.
Jake, you were able to sit down with Angela Vasquez Giroux, and she currently works for Planned Parenthood, but back in the day, she was actually sort of the person behind the words in a lot of these floor speeches. That's right. You know, we just heard that clip from former Senator Coleman Young. Uh, She actually wrote, not that one, but she wrote a lot of speeches for him, (laughs) and I needed to know how she did that. How do you write a speech for someone like Coleman Young? Uh, And she had a lot of interesting things to say, both about that, but also about what the importance of these things are and sort of what people should keep in mind as they're hearing these floor speeches. And uh, so here's my conversation with former Senate Democrats, press secretary, Angela Vasquez-Drew. You know, most of the time when something is coming to the floor for a vote, it's pretty clear what's going to happen. And if it's not clear, then You know, you wonder why they're bringing it to the floor already. But by the time it gets there, um, everyone more or less knows what they're about to do. So those floor speeches really are an explanation of the vote they're about to take um, and also kind of an accountability measure, I think, for whoever they're disagreeing with. Sure. So what do you what do you see as as someone that has written a lot of these uh, speeches yourself? uh, What do you see as the value and what are you really trying to what what impact are you trying to make with these speeches? I think, um, especially when I was in the Senate and we were in a, a super minority, it was really the only chance our constituents had uh, to air their grievances or to, you know, to have their point of view heard by a larger audience. Um, so for me, my goal was to to find nugget of information that was being most overlooked and really amplify that. Um, and also to offer, and you know, a lot of times these policies can be very uh, deliberately obtuse and obscure and difficult to navigate, even if you read them every day. And so finding a way for our members to communicate to their constituents in language that was plain and accessible and, you know, showed that they that they operated in the same world as the people they represented. I have to ask you, how do you write a speech for someone like Coleman Young? So, first of all, the first thing I learned when I started at the Senate and uh, Coleman was one of the senators I was writing for was that he indeed will always want to start with a quote. Uh, and so, we do. We have a clip of that, too. Here we go. Mr. President, I want to start with a quote. There you go. <laughs> yes, and... So that's like a really great rhetorical way to enter uh, enter a speech and kind of focus the argument into, you know, give people a preview of what's about to happen. Um, but Coleman is so good on his feet. Like, I'm I'm pretty sure that that speech maybe didn't go down on paper that way. Uh. Uh, that may have been off the cuff <laughs> for him. And that's when he does some of his best work because he just, he takes in an incredible amount of information. Like, he watches a lot of movies. He reads every bill front to back. Um So my goal with him was always to give him some good basics that he could kind of riff on, although there were also times when I asked him, please read as much of this verbatim as possible, um, just because there were some things I really wanted folks to be able to hear. And he was also very, um, very gracious in doing that when, you know, when leadership or even just the staff felt that certain things were really important to say. So there, I have one more example to play, just because I can't get enough of it. But this is from when the uh, Detroit bankruptcy bills were coming through. I rise today to register my opposition to the Detroit bankruptcy bills, which would keep the city of Detroit under the rule of some unelected cronies for Lord knows how long. 
Mr. President, this oversight commission is like me at Buffalo Wild Wings. Once you let them in, they never leave. <laughs> so anyway, I digress. That's enough of that for now. But uh, I think what that that does illustrate, though, is um, some moments where, you know, I think a lot of people think when they're watching state government at work um, that it'll, it's sort of just um, that the debate is, is very technical, that, you know, a lot of people might think it's boring. But there are those moments uh, with these floor speeches, especially uh, where you do, uh, you know, again, the, like you said, this is trying to communicate message. This is messaging here. Right. This is really trying to um, to, to stake the uh, either your individual claim or your caucus's claim on how you stand on any given issue. Um, so, so again, there, there are moments where, uh, you know, uh, the legislature isn't really all that boring to watch. Yeah, I think it's important. It's important to have folks like Coleman representing, you know, the rank-and-file Michiganders who don't have time to sit through, you know, watching committee hearings and following policy papers. Um, I think it's also really great as a citizen, to see an elected official who takes the issue seriously but doesn't take themselves too seriously. You know, politics can be very high-minded, and um, it can be a lot about some some people who end up having a lot of privileges and a lot of money setting themselves apart from everyone else who they represent. And, you know, for me as a just a human being watching this most days, um, it was always – it always felt much more – uh, compassionate and honest and humble coming from someone like Coleman, you know, who's willing to explain stuff in a way that gives us a laugh, but also, you know, there's not a much better illustration of how he felt things were going to go down in that Detroit bankruptcy than the example he gave. Um, and it's memorable, right? We started talking about it years later, and I can't tell you almost anything else that happened on the floor that day. Right. No, that's true. Um, and, and of course, some of these moments that, that are memorable, they're not always funny or, or humorous. I mean, there, there are moments, I know when I was a reporter watching these floor debates on really contentious issues where things actually really got heated, uh, even though, um, again, as, as we've sort of talked about, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the decisions had already been made. But uh, because of the, the weight of a lot of bills that, that were coming through, especially um, you know, at, at a time where Republicans uh, had control of the entire legislature and the governor's office, you know, really the the floor speeches were where people actually were yelling at each other for all intents and purposes. Uh, I'm curious, do you, do you have any any uh, moments like that that stick out to you, like where where the 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 bill or the issue being debated was uh, weighty enough to the point that it really got those emotions going in that direction? Yeah, I can think um, the most like emotional and just visceral example for me is the night that the Senate voted on the Detroit public school bills. And, you know, this was had been something that a coalition of senators, a bipartisan work group had been together on for like a year and a half. And that day the bills were just gutted and they were replaced with bills that, you know, to our mind were just a, they were just a kick in the gut mm -hmm. um, for the kids in the city. And, it was heartbreaking. I mean, um, Senator Hansen had done so much of the work on these bills, and he got up to give a speech and talk about, um, you know, how they, they didn't represent the work that he had done. And they he had been kind of sold out by his caucus on those bills, and he's up there crying. 
mm-hmm. um, which is you know unusual um, to say the least. And then on the other side of the aisle, you had Senator Hood, who was um, also almost near tears, if not crying, through a speech where he's yelling about you know what these bills mean for the kids in his district, and you know what this, how this is going to impact their lives, and how disgusted he was that. Um, that the Republican caucus was willing to sell out the future of these kids, you know, essentially just to uh, make sure they got their DeVos contributions for the election. And that got so heated. Um, there are these special rules in the Senate where you're not allowed to say, you know, I'm so mad at Arlen Meekoff. You can refer to someone by their Senate district, but mm-hmm. that fell down pretty quickly. And the sergeants were walking the floor to keep everyone in their seats and then eventually kicked everyone but lawmakers off the floor. Mm. Yeah, I remember that well. And, and you're right. It was it's one of those moments where, um, you know, you kind of get into a rhythm throughout um, the, the session and, you know, there's it's very procedural. And then all of a sudden it feels like the whole room is just heavy. Right. That the, the air mm-hmm. itself is sort of weighing down on the entire uh, proceedings. And, and that was definitely one of those moments. Uh, I'm curious, uh, what what do you think, uh, just everyday folks out there who've never been to the Capitol or, you know, are, are sort of just um, thinking about state politics from a very, um, you know, uh, distant view, what do you think that they should ta- should know about what these speeches are uh, and, and sort of how to maybe best interpret what they're seeing if they ever sort of come across, um, you know, someone up at a podium talking about their, their position on a bill? Um, I think this is almost like a, um, I grew up Catholic, so it reminds me of like a mini homily. (laughs) You know, you get about three minutes to explain, you know, your view of the world um, on the issue of the day. And as a constituent and as, you know, a parent and someone who grew up here, I try to receive those as, um, you know, as like a, a letter, um, like this is this is what's happening. This is why I'm doing this. This is what, or this is why I think this is wrong. Um, it's almost like um, I can't remember what part of the Bible it is, but they're always you know, first letter from whatever to whatever. Right. And that's what it reminds me of. Is like this is what's happening in the world today. This is how I feel about it. And you can with some of the senators who've gone through, you know, who've been there for what, eight years and speak regularly, you can go through and you can get a sense of, you know, their, their worldview by looking back to back and seeing, you know, this is, this is how they feel about education. This is how they fought for me on, you know, equal pay. And they really leave us a good body of, um, a good body of evidence about their policies and their priorities and, you know, really at the core of it, what they believe and what they want for all of us. All right, Angela Vasquez-Giroux, thank you so much for joining us today on Mishmash. Thanks for having me. That's all for Mishmash. I'm Jake Neer. And I'm Shana Roth. Thanks for listening.